I have the uh, privilege and honor of introducing uh, Pastor Brandon uh, this morning. He is going to be preaching God's Word to us. Um, Brandon is uh, the founding pastor, planting pastor of uh, Reconcile Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, they are a part of uh, the Sojourn Network, the network of churches that, that we belong to um, in North America. And uh, we're so glad to, to be able to welcome him this morning um, and his family. Thank you for being here, y'all. Um, and if you want to come on up, let me pray for you. That'd be excellent, brother. All right, Father, I thank you for my brother, your servant, uh, this morning. We pray that you would um, let the words of his mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive your word through him, uh, Lord, and, and we pray that, that you would bless him, that he might be a pure channel of your grace this morning. Give him proper fluency and fervency, a feeling sense of the things that he preaches, and, and grace to apply them to our consciences, uh, Lord. And, and we ask each one of us that you'd give us at least one thing this morning, Lord, to, to walk away with, one thing that, that we might walk away with and, and, and be transformed by, pierce our hearts with the truth beauty and goodness of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, brother. Well, good morning, Veritas. How are you doing this morning? I'll ask again for the people who are still a little getting, waking up a little bit. The coffee hadn't hit yet. The caffeine hadn't, hadn't hit the veins yet. And so good morning, Veritas. How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. I'm going to just let you know from the forefront, I am a chocolate preacher. And so um, the more affirmations, the more amens, uh, the quicker I go. If I don't hear anything, then we'll be here until about 1.30. It's on you. I, I'm a, it's a give and go type of thing here. I'm just kidding with you. But again, um, I am thankful to be here uh, opening up the Word of God with you all this morning uh, as your pastor who is quickly becoming one of my good friends once uh, just said that I am the uh, teaching or founding pastor of Reconcile Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, it is fun because that's where I'm from. And so we have planted a church right on the outskirts of the neighborhood uh, that I grew up in. And so the Lord has been extremely faithful. Uh, we've seen some amazing stories um, of people's lives being transformed and changed. And it's just cool to see a little bit of heaven in here on earth. Amen. Um, and then, of course, um, I would be remiss if I did not take a moment to thank your pastor. It is October. I don't know if you know this, but that's Clergy Appreciation Month. Anybody know that? Yeah, it's a big deal, and this is why. It's a big deal. Not for the money, but, but it's, it's good for pastors at times to be reminded from, by the congregation of how much they are appreciated. Pastoring is a lonely vocation, and oftentimes we never really hear that we're doing a good job. <laughs> but... The cool thing about this is that, man, your, pastor, um, your pastor's heart is evident. 
When I first came into the network, I had lunch with a group of pastors from this Dayton area, and it was your pastor who reached out to me first, um, who came down to Cincinnati to have lunch with me, who asked me to come and preach instead, and just to hear his heart for you um, was something that I admired deeply. And so if you would do me so, uh, just the privilege of just giving your pastor a hand of praise, just because he is good and the Lord has blessed you all with this amazing man of God. You are appreciated, brother. You are appreciated, and I'm glad that you are right up the street, and so I know that I have a place to go when the people at Reconcile say, all right, Pastor, I can come up here and hide for a little bit. Um, I'm also here with my beautiful family. Y'all, it was an act of God that we made it on time this morning. Um, that lady sitting right there, her name is Kristen Woodard. Uh, that's my beautiful wife. The Lord showed out when he made her, um, and I am always blown away by her. And so I tell people all the time, I'm a better preacher because she's here. And so I'm going to make sure I give y'all my A game because she's here. But I am thankful for her, thankful for this opportunity. Meet me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. It's fun that you have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it almost feels like your pastor just set me up for um, just a, man, just a good, it was a good alley-oop uh, when he told me that he wanted me to come and preach Matthew chapter 7. And the reason why I say that is because, um, if I'm honest, my wife and I, we've been living this passage lately. And so as I preach to you this morning, we're also, I'm also preaching to myself. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11. It's a familiar passage of scripture. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, uh, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Very words of God. I love it. I love it. I want to preach from this thought this morning. Prayer that moves mountains. Prayer that moves mountains. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to uh, come into this place, gathered as the body of Christ, uh, to sing praises to you, but also to hear what you would have for us through your word. And so, Father, I'm asking and I'm praying today that you would remove all of the hindrances that would impede for our attention, that we would be so focused on the word of God that, that you would be able to do what only you can do, and that's to transform our hearts and our lives. Father, I know that there are people here today, even as we talk about prayer, who are struggling in this moment to even get through it. And so, Father, I'm asking and I'm praying, Lord, that you would remind them through your word this morning just how amazing it is to come to you in prayer. 
Father, I'm asking if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would hear the gospel so clearly and plainly that they would ask, what must I do to be saved? It's to that end that we say thank you in advance for all that you're about to do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. His name is George Mueller. Many of you have probably heard of him before. He was uh, an individual in England who was running an orphanage, and George Mueller was a man of faith. In fact, if you want to know about his life, there is a book that you can get on Kindle for like a penny, and it recounts, it's literally his prayer journal. George Mueller was a man of faith. And one of the things that was just remarkable about George Mueller as he ran this orphanage was that whenever there was a need in this orphanage, he never really went to people first. He always went to God. It was one of these things where he was constantly going to the Lord in prayer. Before he decided to try to figure out a solution, he always went to God in prayer. So true story, uh, there is a story that is recounted in his prayer journal where he uh, is waking up early in the morning by one of his workers. And, and, and they are frantic because they have run out of food and they have run out of drink. And they have about 200 orphans at their care in this moment. And they have no food for them in the morning. And so this worker is, is like, George, what, what are we going to do? George, being a man of faith, a man of prayer, he tells that worker, go set out. 200 plates. Go set out 200 glasses and just set it out and put the kids there. And as you are doing that, I'm going to the pantry to pray. And as the story goes, this worker puts the plates out, puts the glasses out, begins to get the kids, and George goes into an empty pantry and he begins to pray over and over and over and over again, expecting that the Lord would answer him. And true story, as George Mueller is in the pantry praying, there's a knock that comes on the door. It's the local baker. The local baker asks the worker, uh, uh, is George around? He's busy. Well, well, I, 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 I got a question for you. Do you have any use of bread? The worker is kind of blown away. She says, yeah, we do. Uh, how much bread do you have? He says, crazy story. Just in the middle of the night, I just was waking up, and I was told to just start baking bread. I didn't know how much I was going to bake, but I baked all the way up until this point. I have about enough to feed about 200 people. Can you use it? And it's at that moment as he's finishing up his request to this worker that the local milkman car breaks down. He runs to the orphanage. He's banging on the door and he says, hey, hey, uh, uh, where's, where's George? I have an issue. The worker is still blown away the fact that there is now bread for the kids to eat, that this uh, milkman comes to him and says, my, my milk truck just broke down. I can't make my deliveries for the day and I don't want this milk to spoil. Do you have use of any of it? And the worker looks and says, yeah, we can use it. How much do you have? He says, well, I I think I got enough to to supply for about 200 people. And it was at that moment that George Mueller walks to the door, and as he says, he just looks up and he says, thank you. Now, many of us hear this story 
about this man named George Mueller who, who lived some far uh, years behind us, that, that, that we hear this story of this miraculous move of God, this man who literally went into an empty pantry and prayed and prayed and prayed and something happened. You hear that and some of us are like, that's cool. <clears throat> but it doesn't happen for me. I've been praying and praying and praying and praying for that kid. We've gone to the doctor, and when that doctor didn't work, we went to another doctor to get a second opinion. When that doctor didn't give us what we were looking for, we went to a third doctor and a fourth doctor. We've prayed, we've prayed, we've prayed. We've had the elders pray on us. We've had them lay hands on us. They've laid hands on my wife's stomach. We've done everything we are supposed to do, and yet and still, it doesn't feel like God is answering my prayer. That's cool for George, but it's not happening for me. Or you've been looking for a job. You've been praying for that promotion. You've, you, you're tired of having more month at the end of your money. Meaning you broke. <laughs> and, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed that the Lord would either open up another job opportunity for you. Or that the Lord would, would come through and, and maybe um, give you that promotion. But it just seems like every time you come in there, it don't seem like the Lord is answering you. That's good for George, but I'm not seeing it in my own life. This is the tension that we face when we come to passages like this. We've heard of stories of how the Lord has come through in some amazing ways in people's life, and people would say that it's tethered to them praying, that the Lord heard their prayers. But we, we sit in this messy middle where we're expecting the Lord to move, but it seems like he's a little late to the party. And we find ourselves in this place where we begin to doubt that God is even listening to us. Or to say it another way, if he even cares. But Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 11, I truly believe Jesus is inviting not only just those that were around him, but even you, back to this idea of prayer. Because there's something that is miraculous and amazing that takes place in the prayer moment. Sometimes we get so stuck on the destination, but we forget about the journey of prayer. And what Jesus is inviting us to this morning is to come back to this idea, this ancient practice, this spiritual discipline of prayer. Not just this one-off type prayer, but this continual, effectual, consistent prayer. Praying and praying and praying and not stopping praying because there is so much joy. There's so much into it. Jesus is inviting us back into this. I wish I could. I can't remember, though, but praise God. <laughs> or to say it another way, I, I just want to give you this big idea. This is the big idea of this particular passage of Scripture. For the believer, persistent, expected prayer is the prerequisite in God's class on having faith in him. It's cool to say that you have faith, but prayer is that class that you will never get out of. It's going to be the primary way that you can exercise your faith. 
And God is saying that there's something into that. That there's a benefit in there. there there's, some, there's some good stuff in there. Now, before we can get to our passage, I, I got to set it up. I, I got to set it up because, listen, there, 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 are different, there are different false gospels out here. And, and there's a theology called the prosperity theology that uses this passage and they just, they flip this thing to say some stuff that is totally not true. We have to learn how to read our Bible in context, right? And so when you read this, you automatically think, all right, if I just ask, seek, and knock, you know, I should get that, I should get that Bentley. <laughs> or I should get that house, right? Or for my single people, hey, I should, I should find that bay, I should find my boo, right? If I just, hey, if you saying if it's consistent, Pastor Brandon, if you say if I'm just consistent, I'm going to wake up every day at 5 a.m. and I'm just going to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and then boom, they should drop. That's what you're saying. Not exactly. Matthew chapter 6, as you have already heard this, listen to how this context, how Jesus sets this up. Because the problem is, most of the time when we think about prayer, we're automatically thinking about our earthly needs. They dominate our prayers. It's nothing wrong to pray for earthly things. But according to this context, our prayer's perspective in the thing that should be dominant is something else. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 uh, through 20, uh, 19 through 24, basically, he, he starts off by saying, look, um, this is Jesus. In so many words, um, don't worship God in money. Like, like, money's okay, but if you start making it your God, if you start, all you're doing is just trying to, to try to get more and do all this, you're serving two masters. And if you do that, then, man, look, one of us ain't going to get the loving that we need. And usually, most of the time, if you're just focused so much on the money part, you're probably going to do everything to worship it and not me. So you can't do both. That's what the first thing he says. But then on the heels, it's almost like he has us in mind because we naturally think we need money. And if we don't have it, then we get what? Anxious. How are we going to take care of ourselves? Don't worry about that. This is essentially what the next part of this passage in Matthew chapter 6 is talking about. He says, don't be anxious about anything. I got you. Essentially, that's what he's saying. I got you. So, like, as you are stressing out about all of these different pieces, man, look, I'm taking care of lilies. I'm taking care of other stuff. You're way more important to me than that. So as you're anxious trying to figure out what you're about to do and, and where you're going to go, he's like, I got that covered. Just trust me. You don't have to be anxious about those things. I got you. It's cool. It's cool in the gang, matter of fact. But then he says something else. He says, instead of focusing on the things that you don't have or focusing on the stress that will come about, focus on this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all that is uh, in, in his righteousness. And he says, all of the other things will be added unto you. Don't, don't focus on money. Don't focus on these, these, the, the cares of like, I got you. Focus on bringing my kingdom here. If you do that, I got you. That's essentially what he's saying. Then he tells him, don't judge, and then we get to our passage. So if you are praying and praying and praying, and your prayers are dominated by the things that are on earth, it might be the canary in the, in the coal mine where God is like, I need you to fix your gaze, fix your gaze, fix your gaze. I got that. 
But let's, let's get into the meat of this text. The first thing that, that Jesus shares with us is that we have to remember the command. We have to remember the command. Now, now, now understand this. When you see in verse 7, he says, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. If we were to look at this in the original language, which is Greek, when you look at it, I'm going nerdy for you, but I promise you I'm coming to your neighborhood. Just let me just nerd out just a little bit. Just, this, this is part of the, just got to get there. When you look at it in the Greek, the context of ask, seek, and knock, it's in the imperative. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's just like Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples. That's not the great suggestion. It's the great commandment. Like, you got to do it. Like, so when you think of imperative, think, I got to do this. I got to do it. Like, it's, it's not a suggestion. And it's almost as if Jesus is assuming that believers will pray. If you moonwalk back over to Matthew chapter 6, he says, hey, man, when you pray, pray like this. It's already assumed that you're going to obey this command. It is a command. And don't be fooled. Ask, seek, and knock are synonyms for the same word. Pray. He's saying, pray. You've got to pray. But what is prayer? I, I, I love what H.B. Charles said. He has a book that I, I, I notated as a, a resource for you. He's a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a book that's called It Happens After Prayer. And he says, what is prayer? And this is his kind of catechism. He says, prayer is the divine moment where humanity gets to speak to the divine. It, it, it's the usher point where, where divinity and humanity meet. It's the opportunity that you have to literally sit down or whatever it is and speak to the one who hung the stars and the moon in the sky, who also simultaneously knows every hair on your head. And even for my brothers who don't got hair, he know the follicles <laughs> that you used to have in your head. It's this moment that we get where we literally get God's undivided attention. That's prayer. It's the opportunity for us not only to just speak to God, but God speaks back to us. Have you ever paused to consider that you serve a God who, who, who loves to talk to you? How do I know this? He loves to commune with his people, by the way. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses had an opportunity to talk to God. And I love how it says it. It says it like, he got to talk to him like face to face. Ever thought about that? He, he, he communed with his people with a pillar of fire and a pillar of, of, of smoke because he wanted to be with them. Jesus came on the scene and he takes three of his ragtag believers up the side of a mountain and, and literally... He's talking to uh, Moses and Elijah, and then all of a sudden, like, the father shows up, and they're in the midst. They can hear the father. Our God is not one who just created the world and then just set it up like a clock, but that he's intimate. He wants to hear from you. In fact, if you were to look at the ask, seek, and knock again, it's in the active form, and it's, it's continual. 
So essentially, if you were reading this, and they were reading this in the original language, it's, it's ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. Over and over and over again. Essentially, what, God is, what Jesus is telling us, bug God. Bug him. The problem is we superimpose our brokenness onto our Savior. We think that we are annoying God. And that can't be further than the truth. In fact, God loves to hear from you. He, he loves to hear when you pray over and over and over and over and over again. He's saying, bug me. I can handle it. Bug me. In fact, this is what he says in the text. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1, listen to this. He says, I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call on my name. This is essentially what he's saying. Like, I want to hear from you. Pray, I love it. I'm not annoyed by it. In fact, I know that it's important to you because you keep bringing it up. Let me see if I can make this plain. Let me see if I can make this plain. I have four small kids. Brooklyn is five, Brandon is four, Braxton is three, and Braylon is one. If you have small kids, you know that kids are very persistent. So it's daddy, 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 mommy. Mommy, 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 daddy, right? And my wife could just be doing what she's doing. Like last night, she was making dinner, and I mean, my son, Braxton, was just, mommy, 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 mommy. I'm like, Kristen, like, acknowledge the boy. She's like, I hear him. I hear him. But daddy, 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 daddy. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Like, what do you want? But did you notice it? She heard him. And not only did she hear him, but after I kept hearing my son, I turned towards him. God is telling you, pray, 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 pray. Keep praying. I love to hear it. I'll acknowledge you. I hear it. I'll turn towards you. But the problem is, we get tired in the midst of praying. It's called cynicism, really. It is the stomach virus that literally like, halts us from this spiritual move of prayer. It, it, it gets us burnt out. We start to think to ourselves that God truly isn't caring about this. It's the lie from the beginning of time. Really, essentially, do God care about this? Like, did God really say that he want to hear from you like that? I'm getting tired of you saying it. Surely God is. It's to get you to believe that, man, your level of importance on God's meter is all the way down here. It's to get you to be so burnt out on prayer that you decide, you know what, I can handle this on my own. And I don't know who it is today, but, but you've, you've, you've grown cold in your prayers. And you've decided that you know what's best now at this point. God clearly doesn't hear me. Clearly he doesn't care. 
so I'm going to act on my own behalf. Hear the text. Keep asking. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Because he hears you. Before you decide to go out on your own and make a mess of it, heed the command. Keep praying. The question then becomes, what are you bugging God for? But not only that, we have to, we, 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 we understand the command. We, we, we understand the command, but then we trust. But, but then secondly, what we do is we rest in the promise. We rest in the promise. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. I love it. If you were to look at this again, it's a promise. Like, don't miss it. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, I'm going to answer you. Don't run past that. Sometimes we focus so much on God not answering that we forget that he will. That's the promise that no matter what, God is saying, I will answer you. I'm going to answer you. But it may not be on your timeline. Look at the text. I love what the translators tried to do. They tried to weave it in. So ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Did you catch it? It will be open. You will receive. You will find. If you were to look at this again in the Greek, what you see is that, that as he's commanding us in the present to continue to pray, I like that face, continue to pray over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, the promise is in the future tense. You got to get it. Pray, 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 pray. I'm going to answer you in the future. Which means that you just simultaneously enrolled yourself in God's classroom on waiting. <laughs> it's the tension. He's calling you in real time to consistently pray. But then at the, at the same time, he's like, but I'm going to answer you sometime. And this is where it hangs us up. Because we're time trapped. God isn't. God sits out of time, and in fact, one of the psalmists says, man, it's like a thousand years is like a day, and a thousand days is like a year, to, you know, or a day to the, to the Father, meaning that, man, he sits outside of time. He does not, like, time doesn't rule him. He's not time-trapped, but you are. Your time is finite. You only see this much when God sees everything. And so when he decides to move, it may seem slow to you, but as one pastor once always used to tell me, God is rarely early, he's never late, but he's always right on time. But the crucial piece for us is that we have to wait. We have to trust that the promises of God are true. That if he said he will answer us, he will. And when he decides to respond, it will be the perfect timing. 
But what do we do in the midst of the waiting? Y'all ask good questions. <laughs> There's something amazing that happens in the midst of prayer. In the midst of that waiting, as you are praying and praying and praying and know it's coming, but you're praying, praying, praying. God's going to answer me. Praying, praying, praying. God, I know that you are going to do this. Praying, 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 praying. You're exercising faith. It's that messy thing called sanctification that takes place in the midst of your waiting, where you are literally being conformed to the image of the Son. So he's buffing off some of those rough edges. Did you know that sometimes God puts you in his spiritual holding pattern of waiting because the very thing that you're praying for, you can't handle yet. Sometimes he has to legitimately sanctify you. He has to do some work on the inside of you, and he might be doing some things on the outside. There's a passage in the book of Daniel that, that brings this home. I remember it was Robert, Dr. Robert E. Uh, Smith who said this. He said, for every New Testament point, there's an Old Testament picture. Here's the Old Testament picture of this divine waiting room. It's played out. So Daniel legitimately had been praying for something, right? And then this angel comes and he says, it's almost like this. I'm just kind of, this is the brand of what it is. He kind of walks in like, whew, Daniel, man, I'm glad to finally see you, man. I know you were praying for something, but it, I was having to handle this cat 20, for 28 days. I'm sorry I got to you a little late, but I mean, whew. It's essentially what it's saying. God cared, like there was a promise that like God was going to answer Daniel, but he legitimately had to handle some other stuff that Daniel couldn't even see. It's God's waiting room. You don't know what God is up to. That's why he says, my thoughts are not my thoughts. Your way. My ways are not your ways. You just don't know. I'm different than you. I move differently than you. But I need you to trust me. And so in the midst of that moment, there's this sanctifying process where God may be buffeting off some things. As you're praying in faith, he's using that time to prepare you for the answer that he'll give you. But not only that, there's some true transformation that happens. It was H.B. Charles who said, and I think he stole this from uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, where he says prayer, prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes you. God's immutable, he ain't changing. <laughs> That's what the text says. He said, man, I'm, just, I'm the same forever. Y'all change, but I don't. But what I believe, Pastor Charles was getting at and what uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was getting at that, that in the midst of us constantly going to the Lord in prayer, there's a transformation that takes place where your will begins to kind of hoopatas or comes underneath God's will. You are becoming, you are being transformed. It's like this. Moses goes up, he's chilling with God, he's talking for a while, and then you know what happens? He comes back down and the people are like, uh-uh. <laughs> because something happened. According to the scriptures, it says his face shone. There was something that happened in the midst of him sitting in the presence of God. In your waiting room, you're getting the opportunity to be transformed. 
In the midst of your waiting, there should be, there should be just some, 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 some spiritual residue that just, just leaves on you. So that when people see you, even in the midst of this, this hard, inconsistent thing called prayer, they should just be like, but he, there's something about he is spending time with God. There should be a testimony in your waiting period. I travel a lot. I'm not proud of it, but it's just one of the things. I travel a lot. I preach a lot of places. And, uh, and um, yeah, so it's fun going to different places. But one of the things that I just, I just don't like is flying. I don't like it. So a couple years ago, I was in Montana. Now, I was probably one of the only black people in Montana. I'm just be honest. There was this old lady who was looking at me like, so what are you here for? And I was just like, I know, I know, I know. Elephant out the back, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, so <clears throat> I booked my flight, and it's Montana, y'all. Like, I don't know if nobody's here, sorry. But there's like one flight to Montana, and then like one flight back. It's crazy. And so <laughs> I'm trying to get home, so I booked this flight. I did the cardinal sin, though. My layover in, I think it was either Chicago or it was Atlanta. I can't remember, but it was only 33 minutes. Now, see, I know, I know, I know, but I had to get back home. And so I'm stressing out leading up to the day that we leave Montana. Montana's beautiful. We get in the airport, we take off, everything seems good. We land, and we're about 10 minutes behind schedule. Now, you know, if you got to transition to another flight, they close the cabin door 10 minutes before the flight actually takes off. So that means that I have now 20 minutes, well, 10 minutes to get to where I need to go. It's still no problem. I flew Southwest. Now, you know, Southwest ain't in most airports, and if it is, they got like three terminals. That's it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll probably land one place and only have to walk over two spots. I'm good. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. I get out. I got about seven minutes left. So I'm thinking to myself, let me go to the ticket counter and just figure out, or the little counter, and figure out where my gate is. I landed in A1. The agent tells me, your flight back home to Cincinnati is at A64. I got seven minutes to get, what, 63 gates, like, with a bag and some shoes that were really cool, but they weren't functioning for, like, running. And so I'm thinking to myself, I am going to miss this. I have no idea what's about to happen. So I ran track at Ohio State. That was years ago. So I felt like I still had one good race in me. So I took off. And my wife can tell you, I'm running and like, I'm calling her like, babe, I'm about to miss it. I'm going to miss the flight. I'm going to miss the flight. She's like, well, you better focus because you need to get home. So I'm running. I'm knocking over old people. Like my bag is hitting people. I had to knock three kids over. Like running. I'm running, running, running. I'm dripping sweat. I get to my gate and I look down and I'm like, rap, I think I missed it. But I am about to give them the best song and dance to get me on this flight. And so I'm, I get to the flight. I'm sitting there like this, hunched over because I'm trying to catch my breath. I look up, and everybody's still sitting down. <laughs> so I go up to the counter like, what? This flight should be gone. And the lady was like, sir, this flight's delayed. And I would love to tell you that I was like, praise God. I was actually pretty upset. <laughs> I just ran all past all these gates. I'm sweating. Like, my hair, like, I'm just all over the place. Shoes look like they're probably about to break off. Like, I'm just, bag is a mess. Like, I'm just, I'm mad. 
because I made it. That flight should be gone. I should be on my way home. But now I got to sit at this gate. And the longer I sat there, the more I started to think about it. I got some time to do some work that I didn't even think I had time to do. Not only that, man, I can go to the bathroom, I can get cleaned off, I can, I can like get myself together. I got time to actually do some things that I really needed to do that I would have been forced to do really late at night because when I get home, it's just family time. And so I'm looking at it and I'm starting to be thankful. And then I go up to the ticket con, I'm like, hey, okay, so, so why is our flight delayed? And she says, you know what? Crazy thing, there was this horrible storm in the path of your flight. If we would have taken off, your plane probably would have gotten grounded or it would have crashed. It was a very bad storm. So we saw that and we said, you know what, we'll get you home, but we just got to wait this thing out. Many of us are like me when I first got to that terminal. God, why aren't you moving? And God's like, I'm trying to grace you with some time. But not only that, I'm working some things out that you can't even see. What is God showing you in your waiting period? Let's go home on this. We understand the command. We understand the promise. But then we trust in God's good gifts. Text ends, this pericope of thought ends with Jesus basically saying, look, man, y'all, y'all jacked up and y'all give good gifts. Your kids are actually asking for stuff that they need and you give it to them. How much more will I do? This is a, this kind of better than comparison deal. He does this a lot. The book of Hebrews is filled with this. Jesus is better than this. Jesus is better than this. It's this idea that, look, man, there's this, but then there's way better. I'm going to just cut across the field. This is essentially what it says. God is a good father. And him being a good father means he's going to give you good gifts. Now hear me. That doesn't mean that he's going to give you everything that you want. What it is saying is that he's going to give you everything you need. There was a pastor who said, man, God usually responds in three ways. Yes, no, and maybe not now. I want to surmise to you and give to you a fourth. Yes, no, maybe not now, but maybe this. In a lot of our prayers, the reason why we are so uh, discouraged is because we're asking for this, and God may be giving you that. God is saying, look, if I gave you everything that you ever wanted, I would be a horrible God. In fact, I wouldn't be a God at all. I would be a cosmic ATM. Think about it. I just want you to think about it. If God gave you everything that you ever wanted, just, I just want you to think about this. If he gave you everything you ever wanted, half of y'all wouldn't even be in this room right now. Half of y'all wouldn't be married to the person that y'all married to if you married. See, just right there, if I was in the chocolate church, they would have jumped over all these pews because they would have thought about all of the, the things that they asked for. They're like, well, thank God that he said no to that. <laughs> Some of y'all right now should be like, thank you, God, for saying no. I, I just really thought that I knew what I needed. But thank you, God, that you knew exactly what it is that I needed. That was a want that was definitely not in the wheel and the cars for me. Thank you, God, for giving me what I need. And here's the deal. It's always a good 
gift because he's a good father. My kids love Nutella. They love chicken nuggets. They love McDonald's. If my kids asked for those and they said, hey, can we have that for every day for every, every single meal, and I did it, I would be a horrible father. In fact, Child Protective Services would be called on us. <laughs> so sometimes as my kids are asking me for things, I tell them, look, I, I want to give you this, but what about this? Because he's a good father. The challenge becomes... We have to fix our perspective. We have to change how we view things. We have to change our perspective from, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? But God, what are you giving me that I need? I end with this. This is, like I told you, a very real example for my family and I. When we first set out to plant Reconcile Community Church, we prayed a lot of want prayers. We want to pray. We want to plant in this neighborhood because it has this kind of makeup. Uh, Lord, we want to we want to plant the church in this way because it will be a lot easier for us. God kind of kind of like was. I felt like the Lord was like, ah, "You're gonna plant, but maybe not there." I was like, "Oh, you know, that's just indigestion." The Lord wants us to be in this place, and so we went, and it looked like it was going to go well, but then. A crazy set of circumstances ended up allowing us to have to, to redirect. And we began to pray again. But this time we started praying, Lord, what is it there? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? What are, where is the need in Cincinnati? Where do we need to go to plant this church where the need is at? And the need is right by my community that I grew up in. And the crazy thing is that as we were in this move and we transitioned to this neighborhood, it's crazy that, man, the tangible needs of our community were legitimately, go sit down, dude, um, were legitimately met. Like, because we have moved to this place, we've allowed the Lord to take us to where we need to be. Now there are opportunities for the church to be the church. There are opportunities for us to be able to engage the community in ways that we never thought we would ever be able to see, all because we made the transition from asking for what we want to what does God want to put us? Where are the needs? Take us to the place where we need to be, not where we want to be, where we need to be. And if we're there, we will celebrate every time you give us a good gift. Every single time that someone comes to faith, we are going to praise God. Every time we have to baptize somebody, nobody, go sit down. Every time we have to do these different things, we are going to thank you because these are good gifts. What are the good gifts in your life? that God has been giving you over and over and over again that you have failed to acknowledge. God gives good gifts. He encourages us to be a part of this kingdom. And one of the things that he's going to use primarily is that time that you have with him. I want to invite you back, just like Jesus invited those disciples back, to this, this timeless, perfect thing called prayer. It's perfect because God created it. It's messy because we're messed up. But in the midst of it, God uses that moment legitimately to transform us from the inside out. And so the question then becomes, what do you do with what you just heard? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have 
to be reminded of the power of prayer. Lord, we know that there are legitimate needs in this room, and Lord, we don't want to rush past those. And so, Lord, I want to lift those up to you. But at the same time, Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, that you would begin to allow us to see all of the good gifts that you have already given us that we will be able to celebrate those things, that it would stoke the fire of our hearts so that we will continue to run to you, knowing that because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the fact that, that he came down and died in our place and for our sins, we get this opportunity to come to you uh, with boldness and clarity, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Because of what he's done, we can come to you and you hear us. And so, Father, I'm asking and I'm praying, Lord, that you would continue to allow us to be able to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray and to press in even when it gets tough, resting in the fact that we know that you are good, that you are a good, good Father. And, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from even ourselves at times when we think that you are neglecting us. Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would comfort us and remind us to fix our gaze on you and not ourselves, because you are good. And Lord, thank you for the waiting room. We thank you for what you do in the midst of it. We thank you for the fact that you are using that to conform us to the image of your Son. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would continue to give us that boldness, to pray prayers that are crazy for you. Even as a church corporately, Lord, I'm praying that you would allow Veritas to continue to pray and pray and seek your face for things that we know that, Lord, will give you glory. And, Lord, I pray that you would blow our minds, that Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 would be true, that you would do exceedingly more abundantly, than, more than we can ask, hope, or even imagine. And so, Father, I pray that we would leave this place encouraged edified, and even more excited to go to you in prayer. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen.